This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. Because of our friendship, I don't need to ask you to come with me on this, Shag, because you're such an amazing friend that I've got faith you're going to come with me on this. And so thanks uh, is what I'd like to start out with. Just a quick gratitude exercise for being friends with you. So <laughs> it, it's awesome. Till death. So come with me on this. Uh, I have this concept in my head about like revenge sound, right? Okay. St- Stay with me, stay with me. You know the concept of a revenge body that I've still never quite got my head around of like, Shag, you and I just broke up, but now my body conforms more to Western ideals after we've broken up than it did when we were together. And that's my revenge. When you put it that way, yes, absolutely. That's a, that's a weird thing. But, I mean, conceptually, the idea is that... Mm. If you want to get back at someone who you see as rejecting you yes. to be as conventionally physically attractive as possible because that's how society values people first and foremost, it, it, it makes sense on a very basic like logistical level. And so if anyone's been rude about just sort of the quality of my audio and the way I've been managing my microphone for the past sort of three years of this podcast, well, get ready because in a week or two, <laughs> I've got a feeling that there might be a bit of a, of a of a revenge mic up. I've got fantasies, Shag, we're moving house, of hanging stupid sheets around the place, maybe getting some foam cubes to put in very irritating spots. And, you know, you might have broken up with me, you know, echoey, echoey vocals, Peach, over here. But, you know, I, again, I don't quite know how the revenge works, but... When my sound's back, it's going to be revenge sound. And Shag, thanks for your friendship and going with me on that little funny little chat. Here we are. Who broke up with who though? Here, this is my this is my yeah, problem yeah, with the analogy. Yeah. Like, I'm going to do my best. Okay, so <laughs> so someone right formed a view that the quality of the audio I was recording was such that I ought to be broken up with, essentially. Does that, does, that, does that scan right. so far? Okay, no, no, no. In fact, no, I, I reckon I can solve it here. So mm. you are hypothetical, and this is very classic you, Peach. You're very insecurely <laughs> creating beef with someone who probably mm. doesn't exist, who yeah. potentially liked Spooko and listened to Spooko, yes. but disliked the audio recording that you're responsible of your voice so much that we're like, fuck this yes. podcast. I hate the way Peach's voice sounds. I'm leaving. And yep. so you, to take revenge his, on this. His voice will never sound good. <laughs> so you, to take revenge on this hypothetical person, mm. you're going to make your voice sound as good as possible just to flaunt how good they could have had it. Yes. Even though even though that should have never mattered in the first place. And every, sing, every single film or TV plotline around a revenge body is always about, mm. it's supposed to be about the person or the voice recording underneath, not the quality of the microphone 
or body. But I'm pretty sure that's like the lesson you learn on the way to getting a revenge body. So you get the not only a revenge body, but also the humility of learning the lesson that you didn't even want a revenge body. So but it's the I best sort of want you've, you've got you've got a revenge body, and you're like morally superior. And you're also above having a revenge body. So I'm really down for coming back and being like, yeah, audio is perfect, and who cares? Like I don't even care, but it is perfect, and so. I'm looking forward to graduating both on a very superficial uh, level and also graduating on a profound and spiritual level as well, Shake. It's going to be great. We are a podcast that's about continuous improvement. It is yes. like shout out if you have recently joined the pod and gone back to those early episodes. They're Ooh, very hard yeah. to listen to. I'm so sorry. Mm. Appreciate you doing so, though. Oh, uh, there are some, well, I used to think, no, there are some bangers back there. And then you go back and listen to them and you're like, <laughs> but, but one of the things you did, like straight out mm. of the gate, you had a list of films that you wanted to cover, ah, yes. which I kind of liked. Like it sort of proved my thesis that people who are scared mm. of horror movies secretly are fascinated by them. And mm. that, you know, that was always one of the things that spurred this to be, you know, this is our episode 155, right? Mm. And so I went back to that list because, you know, Halloween's coming up. It's the spooky season. And I wanted to yep. cover a classic that potentially we'd missed. And one of the films you always talked about was Evil Dead 2. I don't know why it was Evil Dead 2, but it was Evil Dead 2. Uh I sort of have had in my head that I've enjoyed the film series where there's been like a jarring jump. Mm. So your Halloween 3 season of The Witch, your Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors. And I understand Evil Evil Dead 2 was a sort of like Sam Raimi, like content was the first time you get your contemporary Sam Raimi sort of comedy incarnate. Well, comedy's perhaps not quite the right way to put it, but sort of absurdist and somehow light um, touch despite heavy gore. And and I've always been interested in horror that they're prepared to that the that they create creators of horror films or horror media are prepared to throw out the rule book just to fuck around. And there's something where as a non-horror competent person, I consider myself slightly horror competent now, which I guess is ironic. I was always like, there was always something concerning and very sort of countercultural to that. I was like, no, no, we established that Batman's skills are this, that, and the other in Batman one. And so in Batman four, if he's doing something different, ugh, I don't, I don't like that feeling. Whereas in, you know, Throat throat Slitter 3, <laughs> um, you can turn out, you know, it can be like, oh, by the way, Throat Slitter's, uh, it was all a dream. And the real Throat Slitter is actually a copycat or something like that. To interrupt, I'm so excited because next mm. week is our annual Halloween episode. We have a new Halloween oh, film ooh. to cover. And just like you said, oh my God, just wait till you discover the magic powers Michael Myers has in oh. the new Halloween. <laughs> it's like it's super divisive guest of the pod rob who was on our faces of death episode texted mm. me after seeing it and was like that was the worst halloween ever i actually really liked it i'm very excited to cover it next week but yes please peach continue no i i'm sort of i'm quite distracted by that because michael myers is one of the ones that you sort of like i, I keep being curious that like someday they get like we're gonna drill into the cannon and it's gonna be like oh really 
it's like the X-Men and he's the first to get the X-Gene that made him evil. Or like, really, he's a magician. And, you know, like, really, he's like a golem from the Hebrew tradition or some, you know, reasonably straightforward and clear explanation. And I'm certain when I hear it, I'll be dissatisfied. So I suspect <laughs> Rob is going to be proved correct. But, yeah, look, I'm I'm all ears. I'm psyched. All right. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween month. Here's... Mm. Here's my version of a revenge body peach. Yes. I know you wanted Evil Dead 2. I watched Evil Dead 2 mm. in the early hours of the morning in the background of writing something for work. And I was so weirded out by it because it's so goofy and so yep. not gory and it's essentially a Jim Henson version of Stranger Things. I was a bit like, what the fuck's going on? And so I did a bit of investigation and I was like, no, I've got to go back and actually watch the first one. So today, Peach, for our pre-Halloween Halloween episode, yes. today we are covering the film that made Sam Raimi famous, that he started shooting when he turned 20 years old, if you want to feel bad about yourself. Uh, from 1981, this is the evil dead in 2004 um shags and my great friends and former and hopefully future guest of the pod lex alex grigg played in the band red riders supporting franz ferdinand franz ferdinand's lead singer alex kapranos was 29 years old and we went out to dinner with franz ferdinand that night after they played i remember finding out he was 29 and it just calmed me down about everything. So I was like, 29 is so fucking old. <laughs> of course, of course he's achieved heaps of stuff. He's had a million years to achieve some shit. I just need to calm it down. 29's old as fuck. I have seen the dark shadows moving in the woods, and I have no doubt that whatever I have resurrected through this book is sure to come calling for me. <laughs> what turned out to be a trailer for a more recent screening of the original film because I was watching the trailer being like, man, here are these anxiety strings. The pacing of this trailer is great. It feels really contemporary. You know, we even end with like a sing-song version of a scary song from Evil Dead. Yes, 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 let's go. And Shaggett further convinced me that I expect this might have an old movie element of also maybe being a little bit boring and needing to be re-edited to be fun. Or does the goofiness cut through the boring? So Evil Dead 2 sucked. And like, I'm sorry if I'm stomping on a true cinema classic, but mm. I, f I found Evil Dead 2 way too goofy, but not in a fun way, in a kind of boring way. They pulled all their punches when it came to gore. So it wasn't even like cover your face. Uh, it wasn't super funny because everything it's influences since sort of done it better. Like, yeah. And you know what? It actually does the thing that really pisses me off in horror. We talk about how easy a technique and how much of a cop-out it is to have a narration. Yes. It really pisses me off when horror films start with a little narration that explains the whole film. The first time I saw this, 
where where I was like, oh wow, I hate this. It's a film we haven't covered, but there's there's a Japanese film called The Grudge or Juon. Yes. And it starts no shit at the start of the film. It's like like I can't remember what it, I I think Juon is the, is means the Grudge, but it's like Juon when an evil spirit infects a house and won't leave and continues to infect all the people that come into it, and it's like. Well, that's that's and then, and then what you've you just read me the Wikipedia plot synopsis <laughs> before the fucking film. right. So Evil Dead Two starts with like a scary voiceover that's like the Necromicon is an evil book that some say links this world to a dark world of evil spirits, and it's like yeah, well of course that's exactly it. It just it's really fucking annoying, right? And that just set me off. So <laughs> so then I went back and watched Evil Dead, the original, the Evil Dead is the original. And mm. I was so pleasantly surprised. Like, it's really well-paced. It's short and snappy. It's like 80 minutes, but the 80 minutes really yes. well utilised. It's quite scary. It has moments of humour, but it's also quite creepy. There's some really good gore shadowing about 40 minutes in where you're like, wow, this is actually going to be really fucking gory. Mm. There's There's so much to love about this film. And then when you dig deeper into the making of it, it's so unbelievable right like this is not a nepotism baby film sam raimi and his friend bruce campbell who stars as ash in the whole evil dead series and goes on i think to star in every sam raimi film like he was in doctor strange he was in the original spider-man trilogy like Mm. they made films as teenagers on a super 8 camera and eventually they pulled their money and got some investors and i think pulled like 300 grand of 1980s money to make the original evil dead one of the original editors of the film was one of the Cohen brothers on one of his first jobs. Oh, whoa. Okay. Like there was no art direction on set. They had a carpenter who just made some stuff for them, but mostly they were just shooting at an old cabin. Everything about this film mm. is just, it's not dissimilar to our shitty recordings of Spooko where it's like, you just want to make something. So you make it like you, you don't, you don't quite know how everything fits together, but you're like, fuck it, let's just make this thing. And they did it. And it turned out to be the thing that made Sam Raimi's career and created a, what what I assume like is a very happy 62-year-old. Although you can never tell. Maybe he's deeply unhappy. Ooh, I think if you achieve your most successful or influential thing at age 20, that's a problem. Yeah. Because you're then like, no, the things I've achieved since are as good as that. Like, you, you know, almost the sporting issue of like the most important for yeah. like yeah mm. yeah mm. and doctor strange wasn't that well received and to be fair like the, all the gen z's who are loving marvel now don't know what the evil dead is and he'd be like but i made the evil dead and they'd be like is that something my grandpa watched <laughs> i think it's so hard like arguing for your relevance and and just like on the sports <laughs> analogy richie benno was a cricket commentator who was sort of the like defining cultural commentator and face of this sport and people used to sort of young kids who liked him because he had a funny voice and was very polite and nice used to be like well did you ever play mr benno and he was like oh yeah i played a game or two and of course he was like until shane Warne came came along was like the greatest leg spinner to ever play and probably best captain to ever captain australia (laughs) but i sort of feel like you almost need that humility like you almost if you achieve young you sort of almost need to just like fade into the background like that story about Pete Best who plays with the Beatles for like two years and then like goes into insurance sales and is a very happy grandparent. Like you almost sort of need to be like, great, I did my thing, climbed my Everest and just continuing to try to climb Everest again, I reckon there's 
some romance to it, but it's sort of, yeah, it leads to that slightly sad reflection of like, ugh, just trying to scale the same peak. For a counterpoint to that, and, you know, we've mm. talked about this before, and I try to fight those feelings in myself because at the end of the day, I'm a big believer that to make a mark on the world, you just have to make something good. And whether that's like mm. raising like a really good kid or pet, whether that's like having a great friendship that you like really yep. develop, whether that's just making like making a piece of art like Spooko that's pretty small yeah. that is a thing that we like making. Yes. That's kind of enough. But anyway, yep. okay, so here's another reason why I wanted to do Evil Dead rather than Evil Dead 2, right? Because mm. I think about this era of of horror movies, you know, the, the 80s horror films where you have your Friday the 13th sequels, you have your Hellraiser, you have your Freddy Kruegers, you have your Child's Play, you have all of these, like, famous films. And mm. I think about, you know, what was so special about this era? And I've worked something out. And I, I think it's kind of why I feel like if you're on the same journey as Peach and you want to start somewhere, start with an 80s classic and dive into something R-rated. Don't go for Evil Dead 2. Go for Evil Dead. But here's why. My view, just to sort of endorse that, is that if you were like, we're watching a horror film right now and it might, we might be watching in a dark and spooky scenario, I'd be like, great, it's Nightmare on Elm Street 1. That's what we're watching. And and here's why. Here's why I think that this era is so special. So there was no, I mean, there was an internet, but it didn't exist in the way we know it today. It didn't exist in a way to just share opinions about things or as an instantaneous information accessor. Yeah, right? it wasn't It wasn't the networked superhighway. It right. was, you know, military computers talking to each other occasionally and slowly. Yeah, yeah, or like people playing muds and stuff. So these films existed, yes, they existed in cinemas, mm. yes, they existed on video store shelves, but they existed in the conversations that <sighs> happened in the schoolyard or at the pub where someone's like, fuck, have you heard about this film? This thing happens in it. Now, Bravo. obviously... They looked like shit because nobody could really, like, the effects were never that great. Everything was just, like, gallons of fake, you know, tomato sauce. Or I think in the case of Evil Dead, it was um, red food colouring and corn syrup. It was paper mache heads exploding. But that didn't matter because it was about the imagination. And every movie just had to have a moment that you could be like, by the way, have you seen Evil Dead? This thing happens in it and people are like, fuck off. No way does that happen. <laughs> it happens early in this film. And when we get to it, we'll talk about it. It's obviously highly problematic because it's the 80s. But you'll know it when we get to it. Anyway, Pitch, you ready? Evil Dead 1, a.k.a. The Evil Dead. Let's do it. Also, fun fact about this film. So originally it was called The Book of the Dead because Sam Raimi was a big fan of H.P. Lovecraft. Mm. Great writer, terrible racist, never the twain shall meet. Reasonable writer, good ideas. <laughs> influential, yeah, writer. influential writer influential writer mm. good ideas except his ideas about race and class you, yeah some ideas <laughs> anyway 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 all right so he originally called it the book of the dead and like i think it was a lot easier to become a famous director in the <laughs> 80s i think he just shopped it around to a bunch of producers one of whom saw it was like, yeah, this certainly looks great. I'm just going to release it on like a bunch of cinemas across America. But was like, this title sucks. We need to rename it. And apparently the one idea that they 
hated the least was the Evil Dead, and so they went with that. They didn't even like it. They were like, "Look, that's probably the best of the worst. Let's go with that." I love, I love the story, but I also love the idea of like, oh, so you've already made the film, you know? Like, what's the person's job who's like, oh, I'm someone who just waits for people who've made films to come and ask me if I want to put them in cinema. <laughs> it's like, okay, cool, you've made a film. Oh, yeah, okay, I'll put it in some cinemas once we change the title. <laughs> that feels like such a job that how on earth did it ever exist? <laughs> you, you, you know, like I'm the deciding about film distribution guy. I decide when to distribute films and whether the titles are good. It's pre-internet and pre-people being able to organise so if yeah. you knew the guy that put films into cinemas, you're not going to tell anybody else. You're like, look, I'm your connect. Yes. Just bring me all of your films. <laughs> like the world is both a, a, like a more rational and way more difficult world than it ever has been. Bring on the data. Data will save the day, Shag, as you would, uh, as you would be discussing in the evil, evil agency right now. All right. So five Michigan State University students, Ash Williams. So Ash is Bruce Campbell who mm. appears in all the films his girlfriend Linda, his sister Cheryl, their friend Scott, and Scott's girlfriend Shelley vacation at an isolated cabin in rural Tennessee. I don't know if this was the first teens in a cabin, in a single cabin, being terrorized over a single night film. It probably wasn't the first, but it was definitely one that completely popularized the subgenre of horror. Yeah, no, nice call. Um, This is what, 82, I think? 81. Yeah, it has a nice Texas Chainsaw Massacre element to the group going out. Like, I, mm. I think the even just looking at the aesthetics of um, the cinematography, like, like, I feel like it's trying to conjure that. Um, but it does feel like it's from another world as well. And, like, keep in mind, like, the cinematography, again, like, they didn't really know what they were doing. They had all these Steadicam shots. I don't know if Steadicam existed as, like, a product you could buy in the 80s. I know that... Sam Raimi wouldn't have been able to afford it. So I think they hung a camera on like two poles and like walked it around to give that those those amazing tracking shots you see. And there's one shot at the end where they strap a camera to the front of a bike and ride it through. Not unlike the way that you're currently re- recording in your car, you know, as a makeshift recording studio. It's a pre-revenge recording studio. And, you know, I can understand Sam Raimi being like, one day I'll have a Steadicam, but for the moment, back of the car. I mean, and here's the thing, like this film really is an ode to creating stuff, which, you know, we've always wanted Spooko to be. I think that's why I feel so akin to it. When you get to Evil Dead 2, they've got a bit of money. They're trying to appeal to a wider audience. All the cracks start to show, but this is just the pure desire to make something and not give a shit about what anyone says. And it's kind of why it's as gory as it is, because they weren't thinking about it being distributed. And in fact, they had some problems when they tried to rate it because there's a lot of eyeball popping and all sorts of other things in it. Anyway, okay. Now, what's really cool about this? Mm. So these five Michigan students are going on a road trip to visit this vacation cabin in rural Tennessee. At the same time, there's this there's this shot of this mysterious presence. It's a POV shot of it tracking through the woods. And you get this idea that either they're being hunted or at the same time that they're going in the woods, there's something not quite right in the woods. It's really cool. How close is Tennessee to Michigan, actually? Is- it's probably... Are they both states? I think so. Michigan's a state. I'm sure Michigan's a state. I should find that. Should, yeah, because it's Detroit, Michigan, isn't it? That's where Detroit is. Anyway, yes. Let's let's assume they're near enough by, but I don't have them as close in my head, I must say. 
Look, I that's that's my contribution. I don't know where they are. There you go. I'm always surprised by how many like as an Australian, I'm so used to a city being beach facing there aren't too many cities in australia you know a couple of you know in the northern territory obviously canberra Mm. there really aren't too many cities in australia that aren't on the water but i'm always surprised by how many states in the states are also on the water i'm always like what you've got a beach too and you've (laughs) got a beach and you've got a beach there are heaps of states all along the beach it's like what the hell's going on anyway look this isn't even like this is a weird digression let's continue okay Look, I enjoyed it though, Shane, because <laughs> as we established at the start, that's what our friendship's about. And so I did, I did go with you on that, and I still will, and I don't regret it, and I loved it. Approaching the cabin, the group notices the porch swing move on its own, but suddenly stop as Scott grabs the doorknob. While Cheryl draws it, this is uh, this is Wikipedia, and it's like they've just decided the things that they want to talk about. There's actually like a really beautiful stillness to the start of this film where each of them sort of independently explore the house. Like, no one's got a phone. There's no electricity here. So they're just kind Mm. of exploring the stillness of this house on their own, you know? So, you know, some of them are wandering around the ground. Some of them are looking out the window. And that, as Wikipedia says, while Cheryl draws a picture of a clock. So she's just sitting in a corner. There's a grandfather clock. She's sketching the clock. While she's drawing a picture of that clock, the clock stops and she hears a faint, demonic voice tell her to join us very seductive i can imagine like it strikes me as a really bad sales pitch of like join us it's like oh (laughs) (laughs) no that sounds terrible i swear like demons never know how to market themselves perhaps it's just poor contemporary marketing so like but perhaps 500 years ago it was like boom sounds sounds convincing to me yeah you'd like me to be part of well, your thing well, yeah like in the 40s ads were like <laughs> buy my product and it's like cool i will yeah you're right whereas now <laughs> advertising's all about understanding customer journeys it's all about meeting people where they are it's all about creating things that aren't ads it's almost like demons are stuck in a very early era of marketing Yes, these are the signs you walk past that go like best coffee, and it's like, oh, okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well I better <laughs> so the join us. It's like, oh, yeah, all right, yeah, sounds good. Yeah, yeah, because when it's like you know, like eyes and creepy skeleton fingers and a trapdoor being like, come down here, the water's warm. <laughs> like, at what point are you like that? Sounds like a good invitation. I was going to say, and it strikes me as the difference between branding and sales. Oh, my God. <laughs> (laughs) just a very blunt (laughs) sales process (laughs) and they haven't done the heavy lifting of the brand. Yeah, you're right. Actually, branding would be like, hey, guys, so just so you know, being a demon is pretty cool. We're just doing cool demon stuff down here. Don't mind us. Demons yeah. all day. Uh, yeah, but don't become one. Or do. Like, <laughs> more, like it's fine. <laughs> um, all right. Although shaken, she does not mention the incident. That's interesting because the the thing she's actually doing is deeply boring. <laughs> so I think, hey, what's going on? She's like, oh, I've been drawing this clock. 
And that's going to be her interesting story of what she's got up to that afternoon. It won't be, hey, I heard this creepy demonic yeah. voice. If you were out all night as like mm. an early 20s person with yep. a big group of friends going to like four different pubs, somebody's yep. house for kick-ons, and at one point in the night you heard <laughs> you a creepy voice in a You listen to an interesting clock. podcast that you yeah. regularly listen to. You're like, well, listen to my yeah, regular podcast. Yeah, you wouldn't podcast. talk about that. But like no. you're right. If you are living the most boring life possible, which is being in mm. the 80s and visiting a cabin... And then a fucking demon spoke to you. <laughs> that would be the thing you would talk about. That would be the thing. Yep. All right. Okay. But we're all dying as well for a conversation topic. Like, I really feel like that is the <laughs> thing, especially if it's five people to be like, oh, my gosh, you guys, guess what just happened? <laughs> I'd love to have that trump card. Sorry. Uh, there you go. Okay. All right. All right. So mm. so what's really nice about this is, mm. and I'm sorry I keep shitting on Evil Dead 2, but, like, honestly, within 10 minutes of Evil Dead 2, People were zombies and it was like, let's go, 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 go. Whereas this film, it just takes its time, right? We're probably about 20 or 30 minutes into the film mm. before the fact that they're all eating dinner. We've established that they're friends. We've established some relationships between them. We didn't have to have a narration at the start to be like, by the way, the evil dead is a thing that happens in the world. Like we didn't have to have any of that. Yep. We're just slowly establishing the unease in this place. Mm. While they're at dinner, in the other room, they hear the cellar trapdoor flying open during dinner. So Shelley, Linda, and Cheryl remain upstairs as Ash and Scott go downstairs and investigate the cellar. And Scott does that thing where he disappears and Ash goes down and you're like, fuck, Scott's been captured. But he's like, boo, scared you. And Classic. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, yeah. Anyway. I can see where Scream came from in some ways because like, because I didn't watch horror films. It's like, oh, the rules are <laughs> if you say I'm coming back later, then you never come back later or whatever. And, yeah. and to me, I was like, mm, sounds like there are some rules in this thing. But <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting to sort of see like, oh, okay, there actually really are. Like, uh, <laughs> you, you know, and Wes Craven seemed to be pretty on top of what the rules were. So they find the Naturum di Monto, a Sumerian version of the Egyptian Book of the Dead, along with archaeologist Raymond Noby's tape recorder, and they take the items upstairs. What I kind of love mm. in horror is when people agree, uh, like, not even agree on, but it, it's like there's an unspoken idea that people share in their films that, make the, that makes the thing just feel a bit more real. And one of the things they often do is use ancient Sumeria as the place where demonic things begin. They did it in The Exorcist. They've done it in a couple of other films. It's sort of the first civilization, I think, in the Middle East. I think that's where it is. And it's sort of far enough and near enough from our like sphere of knowledge. We're like, oh, Sumeria, yeah, I know that exists. Mm. But tell me one thing about it. And you're like, hmm, the Exorcist. Like, I think it was, I think it was in the right, Exorcist. Right, right. If you were like, it's the Egyptian Book of the Dead, you'd be like, oh, okay, like mm. Ramses and stuff. But but because yep. it's Sumerian, you're right. And and because it was in the Exorcist, I'm like, no, this is evil. Fuck, like stay away from Sumeria. Fuck it off. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, so they take it upstairs. And Scott plays a tape of the incantations uh, that archaeologist Raymond Noby had been reading out from the Naturum di Monto. This does go to prove how boring the 80s were. Like, <laughs> imagine if you're on holiday with, your fr with four <laughs> friends all jazzed up to be there. To be like, team, I found an old tape recorder 
and some old books. Let's have a listen. And also, you're a teenager who's probably living at home. You're at your horniest and you're all on your own in this house and you're like, let's listen to this tape recording. And surely there's sort of cannabis and drinking to be done and surely someone's bought like board games or yeah. some, like something, you know, surely you weren't like, we'll get to the house. I'm going to see if there's any stuff around there. We'll just I'm going to draw, the, I draw yeah. a clock. <laughs> you go downstairs and get the table clocks. <laughs> It's going to be a sick party, you guys. You've got to come. Bring your girlfriend and her sister. Now, unbeknownst to them, what was on that tape recorder was, as I said before, Raymond Noby, the archaeologist, reading out the incantations. Mm. But what those incantations do is resurrect a demonic entity, which I actually think is pretty fucking cool. Like, mm. I kind of love the plot of this film. It, it is the 80s, so the guys are like, whoa, this is funny, but the girls are all freaked out. And so the girl's like, stop, stop, it's too scary, stop. So eventually Scott turns it off, and a tree branch breaks one of the cabin windows. There's, there's a recurring element in Evil Dead films in which the trees become antagonists, which I think is kind of... Super yeah. creepy. Sick. Later that evening, an agitated Cheryl goes into the woods to investigate strange noises. All right. Okay. Now, I, now I said this. there is a moment in this film where people would have talked <clears throat> about this. Uh, I, like, uh, this, this, I'm just going to read the Wikipedia synopsis mm-hmm. verbatim, and this is what happens. Mm-hmm. So she is attacked and raped by a demonically possessed tree. I'm not going to explain what happens. It is what happens. And you can imagine, right, that that Mm. is the sort of thing that people would talk about to each other afterwards. And if if you're, you know, you're a teenager in the 80s and your older brother has seen this film or your older sister has seen this film and they've told you about it and you're telling your friends and your friends are being like, that can't be. Like the films you've seen, would never show anything like this. And you don't even really understand what sexual assault is because our knowledge of that was sketchy at best in the 80s. And there's also the trust of grown-ups of like, oh, it was a film made by grown-ups. They're not going to show something fucked. Like, they'll show something appropriate. Right. So anyway, so that happens. She escapes and returns to the cabin bruised and anguished. (laughs) Ash agrees to take her back into town only to discover that the bridge to the cabin has been destroyed. Um, now, there's, there's, a, there's a thing that I haven't mentioned that's in here, right? So Cheryl is uh, Ash's sister, but mm. Linda is his girlfriend. And before, and, and in fact, I wrote it down in my phone because I was like, like actually kind of thinking about how boring it must have been in the 80s. But mm. before we get to all the demons and you know evil trees and things, there is like a good amount of setup of these teenagers just having fun. And Ash says to his girlfriend, like, because it starts raining, and he's like, honey, why don't we stay up and listen to the storm? What? <laughs> As like a thing to do. <laughs> hey, you got anything on? Do you want to stay up and listen to the storm? And she's like, that sounds great. Let's stay up and listen to the storm. I just got to, you know, put uh, on my pajamas, but that's, uh, that sounds amazing. That doesn't even feel like a euphemism for sex or... But but there is this beautiful moment where, like, he sort of starts to fall asleep and he's got this, like, little, clearly like a little jewellery present box and it cuts to her eyes eyeing it off and his eyes being sort of slowly falling asleep and her hand moving closer to it and his hand kind of clutching it 
and her just trying to get a sneak peek at it. Eventually he wakes up and he shows it and he's like, I've got you this present and it's a magnifying glass necklace. And there's a reason why there's a magnifying glass necklace and we'll get to that at the end, which is actually pretty funny. And again, all about the hilarious nature of creating stuff for the sake of it. Anyway, okay, so Ash tries to take Cheryl, his sister, who's been assaulted back into town, only to discover that the rickety old bridge that they had to cross to get to the cabin has now been destroyed. Cheryl panics as she realizes they are now trapped and the demonic entity will not let them leave. Back at the cabin, Ash listens to more of the tape, learning that the only way to kill the entity is to dismember a possessed host. So look, it is a bit of a cop-out. It's it's not quite having a narrator, but it's basically being like, if any horror movie was like, okay, so someone has been through this exact situation before yep. and they recorded a tape for us to tell us what's happening and what we can do. Like it's a little bit of a cop-out. We've spoken about Dungeons and Dragons before, and it does feel like real, like Dungeon Master stuff of like you approach the tomb of Balthazar, <laughs> do an agility check or whatever it's called. Roll, roll d twenty to see if yeah to see if Ash pushes play on the tape. So Ash listens to more of the tape, learning that the only way to kill the entity is to dismember a possessed host. As Linda and Shelley play spades. Cheryl correctly calls out the cards, succumbs to the entity, and levitates. And in a raspy, demonic voice, she demands to know why they disturbed her sleep and says that they're going to kill every single one of them one by one, which is actually like a super scary scene. What I liked about this film mm. is that it has the goofiness of 80s horror, but it was actually pretty creepy. Sick. Like, Evil Dead 2 and Evil Dead 3 are not spooko at all. This film is spooko. It's spooko enough to tickle your fancy, but not spooko enough that you won't be able to sit through it quite easily. Anyway, she stabs Linda in the ankle with a pencil. This is the moment of gore shadowing because it goes right, like, you know, we don't cut away. We go, we watch the pencil go into the ankle and we watch very thick blood just pour out of the wound. And she sort of digs it, like she moves it all around and sort of digs it all in. Scott knocks Cheryl into the cellar and locks her inside. And from then on, Cheryl becomes that hilarious sort of demon poking its head out from the chain cellar being like, come down here, you'll love it down here, we're all down here, sort of thing. Everyone fights about what to do. Having become paranoid upon seeing Cheryl's demonic transformation, Shelley lies down in her room but is drawn to look out her window where a demon crashes through and attacks her, turning into turning her into a deadite. Okay, this is a bit of terminology. I don't know if it actually shows up in this film. It definitely shows up in the second film. Mm. So they're called deadites. So if you're possess- you're not quite a zombie because you, you're not you're not necessarily dead yet, and you can still do all your normal things. And in fact, you kind of have magic powers, but you definitely look ghoulish. So you, and and your eyes go sort of blank, completely white. And yes. that so so when we talk about deadites, that's what deadites are. She attacks Scott before he throws her into the fireplace. Now it's really important to remember that when they find when they found the Book of the Dead, they also found a Sumerian dagger with it. At, at which point I think Scott makes the joke to Ash. You know that joke where 
you see something and you're like, hey, Peach, that's your girlfriend or Peach, that's your boyfriend or whatever. <laughs> so like the dagger, yeah, the dagger has like a, like a skeleton on it and Scott's like, hey, Ash, this is it's your girlfriend. Your yeah, sort <laughs> yeah, of thing. Girlfriend. Yeah, so anyway, so it's that dagger. So she attacks Scott before he throws her into the fireplace and then stabs her in the back with a Sumerian dagger, apparently killing her. What's cool about this dagger apparently. is that when it stabs them, the mouth of the dagger starts like spitting blood. It, it's a very, there's a lot of blood in this film. There's a lot of blood and very cheap gore. Nice. When she reanimates, because remember, you have to uh, dismember them, Scott dismembers her with an axe and buries the remains. Shaken by the experience, he leaves to find a way back to town. I love Shaken. He's like, whew, that's pretty. <laughs> it's just, he's just a, yeah. it's just a bit off. Big day, big day. Yeah. Shaken by the experience, he leaves to find a way back to town. He shortly returns mortally wounded from the possessed trees and dies while warning Ash that the trees will not let them escape alive. When Ash checks on Linda, he's horrified to find that she has become possessed. I thought if you dismembered a host, then that was that. Well, I think that host is dead, but it's possessed. Uh, I think you have to kill them all, right? So... They find a shotgun in the cellar and it's Chekhov's shotgun because I think they find it when Scott and Ash go down there first. And Scott's like, you reckon this still mm. works? And it's like... Doing the fun holiday activity of inventory of house. <laughs> Being like, hey guys, let's play inventory of house. What's in the house? <laughs> it's time to play. All right. Okay. So he tries to shoot her with the shotgun she sort of reverts back to normal Linda and he's like, I'm sorry. But then she becomes possessed Linda. Uh, he eventually is able to stab her with a Sumerian dagger. Unwilling to dismember her, he buries her instead. But she revives and attacks him, forcing him to decapitate her with a shovel and retreat to the cabin. Back inside, Ash discovers that Cheryl has escaped the cellar. Cheryl eludes Ash and attempts to choke him. Ash escapes her grasp, then shoots Cheryl in the jaw. And at this point, it's real paper mache gore. Nice. As Ash is barricading the door, Scott reanimates into a deadite. Scott attacks Ash and inadvertently knocks the Naturum DeMonto close to the fireplace. Yes. Ash gouges Scott's eyes out. This is like, he literally just Ugh. puts his thumbs into a paper mache skull and just so much green deadite. Ooh, just pours out of them and pulls a tree branch from Scott's stomach, causing gushing blood to bleed out and fall to the ground. Okay. Um, Cheryl breaks through the barricade and knocks Ash to the floor. As Scott and Cheryl continue to attack Ash on the ground, Ash grabs the necklace that he was going yes. to give Linda and uses it to reach the Naturum Demonto and throws it into the fireplace. While the book burns, the deadites freeze in place, then they rapidly begin to decompose, and they probably spend a good two minutes on this scene as we watch all of these bodies just slowly just, like, become mush and skeleton and then just basically crumble to dust. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade style, which is probably mm. near Samaria on reflection. So, you know. <laughs> Actually, that's a really good point. <laughs> Evocative that's stuff. such a good point, right? <laughs> Dawn breaks... And Ash stumbles outside. Now, before we end this film, Mm. so the reason that it was a magnifying glass, originally how they wanted the film to end is that Ash would use the mini magnifying glass to harness the power of the sun to burn the Book of the Dead. 
and that would cause all the deadites to die. But then it didn't make sense as they were filming and they were filming at night, so they had to improvise and then basically have no reason why he was giving her a magnifying glass necklace. But again, power of creativity, right? You just fucking soldier on. Um, <laughs> Isn't that the... Yeah, I mean, yeah, okay. <laughs> I don't know what no, I'm saying. Bitch, come no, on. No, I'm with you. Just Resilience. go with me. Remember friendship? Yeah, yeah, fr- yeah. That is the power yeah. of creativity. <laughs> And it's good. Every idea is a good idea, except for H.P. Lovecraft's idea concerning ideas about race. As Ash walks away from Pitch, the cabin, every idea. come with me on this. Actually, I'm now with you. You've actually got me. I'm like, yeah, fucking make a magnifying glass necklace. You've got me, Shaq. You've won me over. I'm there. As Ash walks away from the cabin. That unseen demonic force from the start of the film rapidly moves through the forest, makes its way to the cabin, through the cabin, out the front door, to Ash's back. He turns around, screams at the camera, midway through the screen, we cut to black. That is the end of The Evil Dead. That's a pretty tight end. I can imagine being a fairly cynical distribution boss or whatever this whatever this job is we were talking about before and being like yeah yeah that, that was cool that was fine that was fine oh yeah okay strong end all right yeah like let's get through it let's get out of here um i thought we were going to get to a point where ash got his revenge body where he put like a chainsaw on his arm but i imagine that's consistent with the goofier tone of the later films that happens in the second one, and yeah, he, he has to cut off his hand because it becomes possessed, and then the hand gives him the finger. Oh, boo. Uh, I, like, in 1987, you would have been like, I can't believe this is happening on a cinema screen. But now, yes, it's, it's a little bit lame. But yeah, by the end of the second film, he has a, like a chainsaw for a hand. That's an interesting gauge, right, of like, do you have to make art... You know, do we have to do creative works that are timeless or is it okay that they are okay at the time? Like we're sitting here, well, I'm not shitting on it as much as maybe you are, but, you know, early <laughs> early Spooko episodes, I thought they were pretty good at the time. <laughs> you know, and like is that enough? You, you know, like are we able to say, hey, Evil Dead is a stinker of a watch right now? But if it was 1982, you would have really flipped and I can't decide – which of those is true? Like I used to wear a T-shirt that was this really attractive T-shirt I really liked. It was like from the film Easy Rider. And people were like, oh, do you like it? I'm like, mm, I haven't seen it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I've seen like the oeuvre of cinema like influenced by it. And so, you know, fucking, you know, maybe I'll see it one day. Maybe I won't. I like the T-shirt. And so there's sort of half an element of me that's like, maybe we don't even have to like this to be like, hey, it was a moment in time. People liked it. It happened. Uh, and here we find ourselves. And, Jack, perhaps the lesson is that Sam Raimi's uh, revenge creativity is being, you know, is realizing, hey, I may never scale the heights of relevance that I once scaled, but I'm still out here taking a swing. Perhaps Doctor Strange is his most recent magnifying glass necklace, and he's just out here creating stuff. Also, Sam Raimi, I genuinely like Doctor Strange. Fuck the haters. I thought it was one of the best. Oh, I really liked it too. Marvel films I've seen in a while. Thrilling. Vengeful. Uh, this was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe, and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Resh's, what's up?